Amen. All right, so last week, Pastor Dave, he did an awesome job, didn't he? Did an awesome job. He kicked off our sermon series on 1 Timothy, and he went over chapter 1. And Pastor Dave highlighted the importance of mentorship on how the Apostle Paul was mentoring his protege, Timothy. Timothy is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. During this letter, there are many issues that are arising with the church in Ephesus, with many disputes with false teachers. So today, we'll be looking at chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, verses 1 through 7. As I mentioned, Paul's writing to Timothy and how to lead the church in Ephesus. But reveals to us, this passage really reveals to us God's priority and the mission of the church. So today's sermon is called Mission of Mission Valley. Can we repeat that? Mission of Mission Valley. One more time. Come on. A little more. I, I, I can't hear you guys. One more time. Mission. All right. Amen. Amen. So before we get into the word, I want to play Mission Valley Family Feud. I have a prize for the first person that can give me the number one answer to this question. What do Americans look for in a church? The survey was done by Pew Research, but you can't look it up right now on your phone. But what do Americans look for in a church? And I have a legit gift today. A legit Target gift card. 20 bones, $20. For the first person, guess. Chris. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'm sorry? Comfort? Kevin? Good. <laughs> Connect Cafe? Delaney? He got it. He got it. Kevin, what was your answer? God's love. No, it's... it's um, a great sermon. So, Delaney, come on up. You're the winner. Thank you. All right. So, Steve, can you show the list? So, number one, quality of sermon. Number two, feeling welcomed by leaders. Number three, style of service. So, it's kind of like whether we sing hymns or listen to uh, Hillsong United or Bethel the type of service that we have, location, education for kids, and food at Connect, no, I just added that one, food at Connect Cafe. It's a joke, guys. Loosen up, loosen up. But those are your top five answers in the survey. And these things are not bad in itself. They are good things for the church. But what's alarming to me is that I noticed on this list is about receiving and seeking comfort. I don't see anything about blessing others, serving, or being challenged to be grown, growing in Christ. I think as Christians in America, if we're not careful, our own comfort can become a higher priority than anything else. So please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I have it up on the Sky Bible as well. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers... Intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, 
that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So verse 1 starts off with a bang. Paul is telling us the highest priority, the most important thing that we could do as a church is to what? It's to pray. The first phrase, first of all, comes from the Greek word protos. The word protos in this context means foremost, most important, and top priority. God wants to hear from us. Amen? We're constantly called to pray without ceasing, as stated in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. In Colossians 4, 2, it says, Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. This does not come to a surprise now, does it? Is it a surprise to you guys this morning? If prayer is so great and central to God's purpose for the universe and for your your life, it is not surprising that God would tell us, Devote yourselves to prayer. And it is not surprising that this word, Be devoted to, occurs five times in the New Testament. In relation to prayer, it's listed in Colossians 4 2, Acts 1 14, Acts 2 42, Acts 6 4, and Romans 12 12. Paul also gives us four examples of prayer in verse 1. He's not saying that we can only pray these four types of prayers, but he's setting an example that we should pray a variety of prayers. The first one, prayer of supplication. Is telling God our needs. Next is prayer, our petitions that include worship and adoration for God. The third one is prayer of intercessions, involves requests on behalf of others, the importance of praying for and with others, the importance of having a community. And finally, prayer of thanksgiving, our expressions of joy over what God has done in our lives. In verse 2, Paul is telling us that we need to be praying for all types of people, including kings and those in authority. God is calling us to pray for all types of people. Why? Because Jesus died for all people. No one is excluded from accepting Christ. This even includes people that we may even consider our enemies. We are called to pray for all people. And if we only care about people that we get along with, we are no different from the world. I believe we are most like Christ when we pray for our enemies. That is a distinct Christian character. As Jesus himself prayed for the people who murdered him on the cross, and he said this while on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this reminds me about a year and a half ago, My family and I had an incident that impacted our lives forever. A boy threw a rock the size of a baseball on my eight-year-old son Jordan at school and struck Jordan on the forehead. It tore three layers of his skin. His skull was exposed and it required 28 stitches. It was the most upsetting moment in my life. I was filled with so much rage and anger. To be honest with you, I wanted revenge. I know any parent or family member can relate to how I was feeling. During this time, the Lord kept reminding me of Matthew 5, where Jesus tells us, 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That took a lot of soul searching. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to throw up a front. That took a lot of soul searching. And that time, I felt God was speaking to me about priorities. Who am I serving? Am I pursuing justice on my own? Or am I trusting God in his ways? The world and my flesh is telling me that I have every right to seek revenge. I expressed to God how I felt with being so angry and my desire for revenge. And I asked him for help, strength, for his will to be done. It was a process for me and my family. But only through God's grace, my wife, Jordan, and I were able to pray for the boy and his family. To make a long story short, God blessed our prayers beyond our wildest dreams. We ended up inviting the family to church, and they started to attend Mission Valley. The boy Daniel and his family apologized, and Jordan, check this out, Jordan even became friends with them. And we have a picture of Daniel and Jordan. This was uh, during Easter Sunday. Yeah. And that is how awesome God is. Unfortunately, they had to move back to Florida. But I praise God that the seeds of the gospel were planted to Daniel and his family. We continue to pray that the seed will grow in Florida. God protected and healed Jordan. He also healed our family. We now have peace over the incident. Somehow, we were able to attain joy from this. God is the only way we can do this. We were able to achieve peace and joy through obeying God's word and praying for Daniel's family and obedience. Even when it doesn't make sense, God knew what was best for all of us. This is the power of prayer, having prayer as a priority. God turned something that was awful and used it for his good. Amen? Amen. And in Romans 8.28, the Bible tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We are also called to pray for our leaders. It might be very difficult for you, but we are also called to pray for our president, Donald Trump, and the leaders of our country. In fact, we are called to pray for anyone in leadership. God has placed them for a reason. We are called to pray for our bishops in our free Methodist denomination. We're called to pray for our superintendent, Jason Garcia. We're also, pray, we're, we're also called to pray for our own pastor, Pastor Dave, and the board. This also includes your supervisors at work, anyone with leadership influence. And recently, Leah and Sherman Serrano started a prayer meeting for our life group where we solely focus on prayer. And I want to add, because they're probably going to be listening later, they're excellent prayer directors. And I'm just being honest. They develop an awesome prayer outline. And if you want a copy, let me know. I'll be more than happy to share that outline with you. We pray specifically for the leaders of our country, our denomination, our conference, and our church. We as a church, believe in the power of prayer. Amen? Do we believe that? Can I get a clap? All right. 
that our prayer makes a difference. We have confidence in prayer. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 tells us, and this is a confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears that. Come on, let's go. Did you hear that? That if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. Yeah, come on. I'm pumped, man. And the only way we will see change in our country, in our communities, is by more and more people coming to Christ. By lives being transformed by the good news of the gospel. And I want to let you know, it has been a game changer for me personally. I'm seeing firsthand, when I pray for our leaders, I'm being blessed at the same time. Instead of just complaining about certain issues, when I'm praying for our leaders, God is working in my heart. He is refining my heart towards his perspective. Now I'm seeking how I can make a difference in my community instead of just complaining. I'm seeing the world through more God's eyes instead of my narrow, small eyes perspective. Don't laugh, guys. <laughs> These prayers have been giving me more peace and patience in my heart. Praying for leaders is acknowledging that God is sovereign. He is all-powerful and that he is a good father that is in control. What's so remarkable about Paul's statement in verse 2, to pray for kings and all who are in high positions, is that the Roman emperor at the time was Nero. You think our country has issues? The emperor Nero was a lunatic. He implemented terrible persecutions of Christians. Many Christians were publicly executed in the cruelest fashions. The Roman historian Tacitus describes gruesome tortures, such as Christians being killed by dogs, setting Christians on fire as human torches for light at night, and nailing Christians to crosses. Even with all the persecution and suffering, Paul was praying for Nero. So what does God want us to pray for? In verse 4, the Bible tells us he wants everyone to be saved. Can you believe that? He wants everybody to be saved. And to come to knowledge of the truth. That is our number one mission here at Mission Valley. That's our mission, guys. Straight up. That's the first thing God wants every church to be about. Isn't that incredible? God desires everyone to be saved. That just blows my mind. He wants everybody to be saved. The sad part is, not everyone will accept his son Jesus and be saved. So it's not about working for the comfort of its own members as the mission for the church, but praying for the salvation of those outside the church. And right now, I want to share an illustration by Pastor Chuck Swindoll on the American church. The story has really spoken to me and is a warning to our modern-day churches we must never forget our priorities and missions of the church. So Pastor Chuck writes, On a dangerous seacoast, notorious for shipwrecks, actually the station was merely a hut with only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the turbulent sea. With little thought for themselves, they would go out 
day and night, tirelessly searching for those in danger, as well as the lost. Many lives were saved by this brave band of men who faithfully worked as a team in and out of the living, life-saving station. After a while, it became a famous place. Some of those who had been saved, as well as others along the seacoast, wanted to join this little life-saving station. They were willing to give their time and money to support its efforts. New boats were purchased. New crews were trained. The station was once obscure and crude began to grow. Some of its members were unhappy about the unattractive and poorly equipped hut. So they tore it down and built a more comfortable place. Emergency cots were replaced with a lovely furniture. Rough handmade equipment was discarded and sophisticated. Classy systems were installed. By then, the life-saving station had become a popular gathering place. It was now used as a sort of clubhouse where people got together just for the fun of it. Fewer members were now interested in braving the sea on life-saving missions. They hired professional lifeboat crews to do the work. Life-saving motifs were still prevailed in the clubhouse decoration, but beyond that, there was not, no much life-saving activities in the clubhouse itself. Then a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the boat crew brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, terribly sick, and very lonely. The beautiful new clubhouse suddenly became messy and uncluttered. A special committee saw to it that a shower house was immediately built outside and away from the club so victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there were strong words and angry feelings which caused division among the members. It's too messy, they said. And besides, those people ruined the atmosphere of the clubhouse. There were a few, though, who insisted that saving lives was still their primary objectives, that their only reason for existence was helping those who are drowning. They were voted down and told that if they want to save the lives of people who were shipwrecked, they could start their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As the years passed, the new station experienced the same old changes. It evolved into another club. And then a third life-saving station was begun. History continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that coast today, you'll find a large number of exclusive, impressive clubs along the shoreline, owned and operated by slick professionals who have lost all involvement with the saving of lives. Shipwrecks still occur in those waters, but now most of the victims are not saved. Every day they drown at sea. And so few seem to care, so very few. And Pastor Chuck is asking us, do we care anymore about God's mission for saving the lost? And I was reading an article on discipleship from Lifeway Church Research, and I was shocked with the stats regarding discipleships. The article stated that 61% of Christians have not shared their faith in the past six months. 48% of Christians have not invited someone to church in the past six months. 95% of Christians have never led another person to God. Is reaching a 
lost passion for us at Mission Valley? Have we, like those life-saving stains, lost sight of our mission? I pray and hope that we will never be a church like those life-saving stations. Brothers and sisters, we must realize that God placed our church here in San Gabriel for a reason. And that reason is for us to make a difference. It's not by accident that we are on 1201 South San Gabriel Boulevard. And Mission Valley, you guys have been doing an awesome job. Because I remember the first time I came here, um, we didn't have any baptisms at all the whole year. You guys remember that? And the past two years, I've seen God really working in our church. And I want to thank you guys for your passion to share the gospel. I did a little bit of research, but in the past year and a half, we've had over 15 baptisms here at Mission Valley. From zero to over 15. And I see brothers and sisters discipling one another. It's awesome to see. And we actually had over 20 professions of faith in the past two years as well. So God is using our church in an incredible way. But brothers and sisters, there are people that are still drowning all around us. In our homes, with our families, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our barista at Starbucks, our poke chef at Pokelicious off of Rosemead Boulevard, and the list goes on. Mission Valley, are we going to let them drown? It breaks my heart. So many people need Jesus. So this is how we start saving them, by praying for people's salvation. That's the first thing that we should be doing, is praying for people's salvation. We must plead with God to continue using us to rescue men and women from shipwrecked lives. We must pray that the Lord will keep using our church to bring many to faith in Jesus, who alone can save them from the sin. And notice in verse 1, it doesn't say, I urge then, first of all, that you preach the gospel because God wants all men to be saved. No, it says, I urge then, first of all, that prayers be made for everyone because God wants all men to be saved. As important as preaching the gospel is, prayer is even more important for the salvation of the lost. God used Charles Spurgeon preaching in the 19th century to bring thousands of people to faith in Christ. Even so, Charles Spurgeon himself once said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. That's because he knew it was not his preaching that brought people to Christ. It was God drawing people to himself in answer to prayer. God has always worked in answer to prayer. In Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul and Silas, they were the first Christian missionaries to Europe. They found themselves in a little town called Philippi. In that town, there were small groups of women praying at the riverside where Paul and Silas met a businesswoman from out of town. They introduced her to Jesus Christ, and she led her family to the Lord. Later, Paul and Silas introduced a demon-possessed slave girl to Christ. But they were thrown into prison because that slave girl had earned a lot of money for her owners through her fortune-telling. It was not a good start for these Christian missionaries, right? 
But while in prison, they prayed, and God sent a violent earthquake. The jailer was so shook up, he came running to Paul and Silas and cried, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer and his family came to Christ and became a part of the first core group of the first church in Europe. It was the start of a movement that spread throughout Europe and eventually to the United States as European Christians came to this great land for the express purpose of bringing the gospel here. You and I are here today because two men prayed in a jail in the little town of Philippi nearly 2,000 years ago. That's the awesome power of prayer. Do not ever, ever underestimate the power of prayer. Specifically, we must pray that people come to the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son. Amen? Pray that people get connected to Jesus, who is the only way to God and the only way to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6 tells us, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. Only one. Not a couple, only one. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. So Jesus is the only way to God. He is the only mediator between God and man. Christ and Christ alone brings us to the Father. There is no other way to God. We cannot come through Buddha. We cannot come through Muhammad. We cannot come through just being a nice guy or being a wannabe Christian as Pastor Steve mentioned to us a couple weeks ago. We can only get to the Father through a sincere faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And in Romans 10.9 tells us, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, do you get that? If Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And as Pastor Dave touched based on last week, it's not good enough to consider Jesus as your Savior, to just like Jesus. But in this verse, God is telling us that Jesus is Lord. Does He dominate your heart? Or are we just a lukewarm or wannabe Christian? Straight up. Romans 10, I'd read it for yourself. If Jesus is Lord, does he dominate your decisions? Does he control your heart? That's what Romans 10, 9 is telling us. Why? Because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 3, 23, that we need Jesus because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God had to come up with a plan. And his plan was Jesus to save us. And Jesus tells us straight up again, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, 6. Let me read that again. So much power behind it. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. He was the only perfect person who ever lived because he was God. He came to show us what God is like. 
And as God, he died on a cross for our sins and rose again. Now all we have to do is trust him as our Lord and Savior with our lives and establish a relationship with him. Then we can get to God, the Father, through Jesus, the Son. And recently I was reading an article uh, by Pastor Rick Warren. And he gave an illustration uh, in his article. And it's about his friend Ron Dunn, who took his young son to a carnival for his birthday. And Pastor Rick writes, His son had picked six friends to go with him. So Ron bought a roll of tickets. Every ride, he would pull off seven tickets and give them to all the kids. When they got to the Ferris wheel, all of a sudden, there was an eighth kid with his hand out. Ron said, who are you? And the kid said, I'm Johnny. Not Johnny Seto. That's my name, my middle name, if you guys know. I'm Johnny. Tough crowd today, tough crowd today. (laughs) Don't throw tomatoes at me, please. Ron said, who are you, Johnny? Johnny said, I'm your son's new friend. And he said, you would give me a ticket. Ron asks, Pastor Rick, do you think I gave him one? Absolutely. Why? Because that little kid had come to the Father through the Son. Just like with our Heavenly Father. The only way we can get to him is through his Son, Jesus Christ. We must be in a relationship with the Son to receive anything from the Father. Jesus is the only way. And that's why we must pray that our family, friends, and our community get to know him too. This must be our number one priority, to pray and let people know about Jesus. As a church, Jesus, our Lord, is commanding us to save people, as you just read in the passage. And in verse 7, Paul says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And he says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentile in faith and truth. Paul's sole purpose in life was to see men and women be set free from the bondage of sin. It was his number one priority. And it should be ours as well. And you notice that he said that he was appointed. But when I read that verse, the Lord really spoke to me about our church that we are too appointed by Jesus to live out the great commission. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, this is the coolest part, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That we're all appointed. If you say, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, we're all appointed to make a difference for his kingdom because God desires everybody to be saved. So church family, let's continue to pray for the San Gabriel Valley for revival. 
Let's dream big for a revival. And pray for Mission Valley that God would give us opportunities to lead more people to him. In closing, I want to share a video. And I know we played it a couple weeks ago. But I believe uh, this is a great example of why we exist as a church. A great example of the priority of prayer and the mission to save the lost. It's a video with Sharon Serrano's son, Junior. Sorry, I'm getting kind of emotional because I love love Sharon like a brother. Uh, He's in my life group. He's in uh, my MRT team. But I know this meant so much to him. And I know, I know that Sherwin, Leah, mom and dad, Chet, and Carol, they just didn't pray for him last month. They've been praying for him for years, for years. They never gave up. And God opened a door for Junior to attend family camp three weeks ago. Sherwin was nervous that Junior didn't know anyone. And it was his first time attending camp. So our life group prayed for Junior's camp experience. And that's why it's important to have community and being part of a life group. So if you're not in a life group, I highly encourage you to do so. And God blessed Junior's camp. God spoke to Junior. And Leah shared that the proudest moment is when she saw Junior raising his arms for the first time worshiping Jesus. God really spoke to him during the week. He decided to get baptized. And I'm really proud of him with his courage. Because typically at family camp, there's maybe three, four, or five people being baptized. But he was the only one. And he was willing to share his testimony. And he was willing to get baptized so that he can proclaim to the world that Jesus is his Lord and Savior. So now if we could just play the video, Steve. Okay, so <laughs> I feel like I want to be baptized because I just felt like it was one of God's calling. I, I noticed this, noticed it during camp. I just felt like as I got closer and closer to God, my relationship with Him just kept growing and growing. And just like meeting these people, I just felt like, you know, He was telling me to, um, call, He was calling me to be baptized. Sharon Jr., do you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes. And believe that God raised him from the dead? I do. It is with great honor that I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what it's all about. Amen? That's why we're here. And that hug always gets, me, gets to me. 
It's not the pool water. I was crying there too, but it was really tears of happiness. Because, you know, it's hard for Sherwin because Junior doesn't live here. He lives in Sacramento. But you can see that the greatest moment that, that they had as father and son was at the baptism. That is what the gospel is all about. It's my encouragement to you this morning, brothers and sisters. Never give up praying for your loved ones. Never. Never. And I know I shared my testimony before, but my auntie, my late auntie, like, I really believe that I wouldn't be here today if she never prayed for me. She prayed for me for over 25 years faithfully. And at the age of 30, God saved me. So my encouragement to you is don't ever give up. If God can save me, then God can save anyone. Amen? All right, now I have the weekly challenge for you guys. So I want you guys to really meditate on 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 every day. And then I believe everyone in here received um, an index card. And you're probably thinking, what? why am I reading um, or why am I receiving an index card? It's not for you to learn Japanese or work on your math equations. But it's for our weekly challenge. I want you guys, I'm challenging you guys. If you really love your loved ones, list three non-believers that needs Jesus. I'm serious. List three people. There's so much power behind prayer. And also list three leaders that you can pray for. I believe that we need to really be intentional when we pray. We can't just have a blanket prayer and hoping that God is going to answer your prayers. I believe that if you specifically pray for someone, it's going to make a big, big difference. And I want you guys, a year from now, to let me know. Share your testimony. That's how much confidence I have in our God. That he hears our prayers. And then I want you to place this card maybe on a computer, um, maybe on a refrigerator, somewhere that you would constantly see it. And when you see it, do your very best to pray for those people constantly. If God can save Sherwin Jr. and myself, and I'm sure everybody here has their own testimony of how you're saved. And I can say confidently, I believe 100% of you got saved because someone was praying for you. Right? So if you could please, please fill out this card. And also, I just want to give you some time too right now. I feel like uh, maybe I could give you a minute or two just to think about someone, pray about somebody, and just write the three people that you want to know Jesus Christ and three leaders that you could specifically pray for. And the last challenge is Find a group to focus on prayer. I encourage you to be part of a life group. How many of you are in a life group right now? There's a lot of you. There's a lot. And there's so much 
power and encouragement when we pray together as a life group family. Amen? Amen. Or, if you're not part of a life group and maybe you just don't have time, Tuesday night, our brother Andrew, he leads a prayer group here on our campus. So if you have any questions about the group, please reach out to brother Andrew. So right now, I'm just going to give you a couple minutes to uh, write down for people that you can pray for, for them to be saved, and also three leaders that you can pray for, that God will use them in a mighty way so that they can have an influence furthering God's kingdom. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being our loving God. A God that continues to cover us with your love. And you proved it by sending your only son, Jesus, to us. I pray for our church to be devoted to prayer so that we can grow closer to you. For us to continue to have a passion to reach the lost. Father God, it really breaks our heart knowing that many people do not have your son, Jesus, in their lives including some of our close family members, friends, people at our workplace, and people in our community. Father God, please, please soften their hearts. Please open doors to make a difference. And please use us as your vessels where we can proclaim your son, Jesus We also pray that you will bless all the people that are leading our country, our communities, and here at Mission Valley. May you speak to their hearts for your will to be done with your guidance and these sermons, and that you may use them to further your kingdom. Jesus, I can't believe that you left your throne in heaven. You humbled yourself as a man, was mocked, tortured, and beaten beyond recognition, nailed to a cross, and rose again three days later. You went through physical agony that is unimaginable and literally took the weight of the world's sins on your shoulders. And took the wrath of judgment so that we may be free and saved. You went through all this because you love us and couldn't imagine living in heaven without us. And I pray that we will take our communion in remembrance of you. Jesus, you paid the ultimate price for us. Your body was broken for us. Your blood was shed for us so that our sins will be forgiven and for us to have eternal life with you. You are the reason why we have hope. We thank you and we give you all the glory, all the praise that you deserve. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.